Um, I am excited this morning to kick my husband off the stage and to share um, this wonderful and kick off the series about um, this amazing story. I've always loved the story of Ruth. I think as a, a female, um, Scripture is not exactly busting at the seam with uh, stories of women, and they actually have a name. And so I was super excited to, to share this story today. So I've always loved Ruth, but then... As many of you know, um, my relationship with this story changed several years ago uh, when I could feel a little bit of what Ruth went through. I lost my husband, and I was also part of that Young Widow Club, a club that you don't want to be part of. And I had to navigate those hard relationship of having a mother-in-law. Um, when your spouse is no longer with you, most of us, our relationship with our mother-in-laws, even if it's fantastic, and, and I really am blessed with two amazing mother-in-laws, but even if it's fantastic, it's still complicated relationship. Um, I know that my first mother-in-law hates that I do not send out thank you notes on a timely matter. Um, it drives her absolutely nuts. She has given me thank you notes every Christmas for years. Um, I got the hint. Uh, she also started putting stamps inside the package of uh, thank you notes. I was like, okay, I'm getting it. Um, I have a passive-aggressive fight going along with Regina, my mother-in-law, over biscuits. Um, she feels her biscuits are better. We all know that my biscuits are better. Um, and it's a complicated relationship. And one day, Gatlin will get married, and he may be misguided and think that her biscuits are better than my biscuits. But these relationship is already kind of strained with a mother-in-law. Um, it's complicated because as a mother, that little boy has, you've been the main woman in his life. You've been dictating, you've loved him before he was ever born. And then in walks this woman and she's trying to steal his heart. Um, and so it's a complicated relationship, even if you have a wonderful uh, mother-in-law. And so I love this story of Ruth that we see this love and this compassion between two women that's not always an easy relationship as we, we walk alongside it. But before I go into the story of Ruth, I want to step into a different story throughout Scripture. So we... As a culture, we love stories that deal with an underdog. So yesterday, I googled um, the top underdog movies, 10 of them. I, I won't lie, I kicked out four of them because I'd never seen the movie. Um, now, Casey's already tried to argue with this list, so if you have disputes, you, you can talk to Google, okay? I didn't make this list, I just picked the list and picked the movie, so let's go through. Um, Okay, I hate the cold with a passion. I don't love sports, and so add cold and sports, I am really out, okay? So hockey is not my thing, but if you've not watched The Mir uh, Miracle, it is an amazing movie. It's an older movie. Uh, you feel, you know, patriotic. You feel like you need to get your red, white, and blue. You need to raise the flag watching that movie uh, as the U.S. is victorious. Legally bond. I mean, who doesn't want Elle Woods to be successful, right? Um, I mean, she, she had so many things against her, and she proved to the world that you can be blonde, beautiful, and wear pink and still be smart. Right, Kara? Um, <laughs> so we love that story, right? We can relate to it. Um, okay, I have to admit, 
I have seen parts of Rocky, but I don't really know if I've seen the whole movie all the way through. But I, I get the gist that it was an underdog story, um, enough of the scenes that I've seen. There's some iconic scenes when the music plays. I know what it's from. Um, but I actually haven't watched that one, to be honest with you. And honestly, I, don't, I could lie to you and say that I was going to go watch it, but I'm, I'm probably not going to. Um, Shawshank Redemption. So Shawshank Redemption, I will tell you, is this amazing. This is the one Casey and I got a little bit of a tiff yesterday on the phone. He was driving from Canton. He goes, Shawshank Redemption is not an underdog story. I said, absolutely is. He says, it's a story of redemption. I said, well, I think it's an underdog story. So again, I as I told him, if you have a problem with it, go argue with Google. Okay? I did not make this list. I just picked the movies that I'd actually seen. Um, and I will tell you the truth is, I haven't seen Shawshank Redemption in about 10 years. My late husband made me watch it a million times that I was still on a, a band from it. But the other day I told Casey, I think I'm ready to watch it again. You know, it's been enough times. It's been, you know, about 15 years since I've seen it. And so it's, it's time to, to watch Shawshank Redemption. Kids, Kung Fu Panda, right? Right? I mean, who... Yes, they're excited, right? It was the underdog story. It is the animated version of the underdog story. And in uh, pursuit of happiness, if you did not shed a tear watching that movie, you need to go talk to a counselor, all right? There's something emotionally wrong with you. If you didn't shed a tear when he was holding his son on the bathroom floor of that subway, I mean, I won't lie, I started thinking about this movie, and I started getting a little choked up, just, just even thinking about it. I will say, not thrilled with some of the choices that Will Smith has made most recently. I don't endorse um, those actions, but we, we can all agree, that was a fantastic movie, and he did a great job in it. How he didn't get all the Academy Awards for that, I don't know. Um, but all these stories are really stealing from the original underdog story from Scripture. Um, if you've attended BBS, you, they've done this story. Um, I don't know how. I'm, I used to be a children's minister, but for somehow in all curriculum, every six months we cover David and Goliath, right? This story. So David and Goliath we, um, is the original underdog story. All these other stories are using the same model. It's the little guy who cannot win in the situation. Um, and so we see this scene in 1 Samuel of uh, the Israelites and the Philistines. They're each on their mountain. There's a valley in between. And out comes Goliath, right? Um, Goliath was uh, a giant by all, all standards, okay? And he has sent. So this battle starts. He goes out. He taunts the Israelites, um, makes fun of them a little bit. And he, he takes and he continues. And so everyone's looking around. It says the Israelites were fearful. They were concerned. Um, no one was jumping at the, at, you know, going, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll fight Goliath. That sounds so amazing, so great. Um, it's kind of funny if you think about this story because Saul, their king, who actually scripture talks about was actually a pretty tall guy, kind of a big guy, very kingly looking guy. He wasn't going up. I'm sure there's points where the Israelites were like, so Saul, are you, are you going to go take care of this? Um, in fact, Saul was so concerned about going and um, fighting Goliath that he started using some motivation for his Israelite army. He goes, hey, I tell you what, 
So after a couple days, he goes, hey, I tell you what, I'll, I'll pay you a really great lump of sum of money if you'll go out there and fight Goliath. A couple days pass, no one's jumping on that. So then Saul goes, okay, okay. How about a lump sum of money and you can marry my daughter? What about that? Like the pretty one, not that other one, but the pretty one. And still, days pass, nobody's jumping on the opportunity to go fight Goliath. Um, and so Saul then goes, okay, okay, we'll try this one more time. Lump sum of money, you can marry my daughter, and you don't have to pay taxes. I mean, what a sweet deal. And again, no one is jumping up and down to go fight Goliath. Everyone's kind of like, yeah, I was going to do it today, but <clears throat> I kind of slept wrong. My back's a little off, you know. Um, I feel like a cough's coming on. And this goes on for 40 days. That's a long time to let someone just sit there and talk trash about you. Um, and all these men are just looking around. Well, in comes this underdog by the name of David. So I'm going to ask my friend, I had Hud who's going to come, but he's under the weather. So Kennedy, come on up here for me. All right. So we don't know how old David is. Kennedy's only seven, so we probably... David was a little bit bigger and older than, than, um, than this, but I've heard accounts and commentary that he was, could have been as young as nine. We know that he was probably less than 15. He was not part of the battle, so he was and referenced as a young man by Saul. Um, so, hey, Kennedy, can you look up there? Do you see that white sticker up there? Way up there. You yeah. see it? You see it? Okay. So that's how tall Goliath was said to be. Nine feet. That's nine feet. Some, some say over nine feet. So um, what do you think if I asked you to fight a, a giant like that? How do you feel about it? Uh, I'd probably do it, but I don't know. But only if God was on your side, right? Yeah. Okay. 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 That makes, that makes sense. Okay. So, but, but are you going to be a little scared? Yes. Yeah. A little, a little intimidated? Right? Yeah. Would you want to back up? A little. No? Would you take anybody with you or are you just going solo? Uh, I'd probably take Trevor with me. Trevor. Good job. Bring a big brother in. I mean, if nothing else, maybe you could outrun Trevor, right? You're pretty fast, right? Maybe. So then the Goliath is after Trevor. So, but still pretty intimidating, right? Yeah. Yeah. Would it be funny if all these grown men weren't fighting the giant and you were the guy who, like, they think about all these people here and they're like, yeah, we're not, we're going to let Kennedy take this. Would that be funny? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Kennedy. So, <clears throat> you can go now. Okay. <laughs> Unless you want to preach. You want to finish out the sermon? No? Okay. So, I'm a very visual person. And so, you know, Kennedy's only seven. I get that. But really and truly, this was a pretty drastic difference in size. You're thinking about this little boy. In fact, the story talks about that Saul, first uh, David comes up, he goes, I got this. I'm not going to let this, this giant tease our Israelite people. I'm, I'll fight him, which is it's just comical because here's this army full of grown men and there's this little boy who says, I got this. In fact, Saul, when he tells us to Saul, Saul kind of goes, you know, if I send a little boy to get murdered by a giant, the PR is going to be a bit of an issue. So maybe not you. And David says, I got this. 
because God is on my side. I've killed a lion, I've killed a bear, and he uses these examples. So Saul's like, well, at least put on my armor before you go out there. And I've always loved this picture of, have you ever seen a kid wearing his daddy's suit? You know, and nothing fits, it's oversized, they can't walk, it's falling down. Well, Saul puts on all his armor, and that's what you see. You see a little boy wearing a daddy's size suit, and he can't even move. And so David goes, yeah, I can't wear this. This is not going to work. Um, he takes it off, and we know the story is he goes out, picks up five smooth stones and a slingshot, and he takes down this nine-foot-tall or more giant. And we see he's victorious. He then takes his sword and cuts off the head, which is a whole other scene of this little boy carrying this giant's head that, you know, you got to love scripture, has some, some scenes you're like, really? And carries it around and carries it back to Jerusalem. Uh, but we see this little boy become victorious over this giant. And we know that David then goes and he is, becomes king. After some, some issues with Saul, there's a whole drama, you know, there. And he becomes king, and he eventually becomes part of the lineage of Christ, um, as was prophesied for long ago. So <clears throat> we'll leave that story right here. We'll come back to it. And I promise there was a reason for David and Goliath, not just because it's a great story that I love to tell. So let's jump into Ruth, into chapter 1. So Ruth kicks off with um, the story of Naomi and Elimelech that they live in um, Bethlehem and there is a horrible famine. And so they choose to go up the road to Moab and in the hopes that they're going to be able to find food, right? Um, there were some issues with this decision, to be honest. Culturally, um, they go, their sons are going to end up marrying uh, Moabite women, which was kind of a taboo thing for Israelites. There was, God had kind of instructed them not to do that, but that's nor, neither here nor there. So we see the story of uh, Naomi and Elimelech coming to Moab. We don't know exactly when, but further into this story, we see that uh, Elimelech dies, and Naomi is left a widow. And that was hard enough, but she still had two sons. So her sons, they're going to take care of her. She's good to go. So her two sons marry two women, one by the name of Ruth and one by the name of Orpah. FYI, I don't know if you all know, but Oprah is actually Orpah. They just mispronounced it. So, you know, in case you're like, no one's named Orpah. Oprah is actually Orpah. So <clears throat> Orpah and Ruth are married to Naomi's sons. Things are going along. They're going good. There's no big problems. And then we don't know exactly what happens, but both of her sons die. And we see these three women are left without a husband. And as hard anyone who's lost a spouse knows, it is a rough go. But in this culture, when I lost my husband, I wasn't worried that me and my, uh, that I was going to starve to death. That was never a fear because I, I, I could go to a job, I could make a living. It was not the end of the world. In this culture, women did not have that option. So this was like a death sentence for these women. There were no jobs available for widows. Widows were 
Women were pretty low on the totem pole. Widows were even lower than that, okay? And so we see um, in this story, we see unfold this, this, this place, this iconic moment where Ruth and um, Orpah are talking to their mother-in-law. And so um, then Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, go back, each of you, to, um, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the homes of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go with you, uh, with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? I'm going to have, I'm not going to have any more sons. You could become your husband. So the culture was that um, when a spouse died, you had, to, you typically would just marry one of the brothers. Um, I'm so grateful we do. I love my brother-in-law Jared, but me and him would not have done well. So I'm so grateful that we didn't do that anymore, and we don't. Um, He's a great guy, wonderful guy, good lawyer, but we would not have hit it off. So I'm glad we don't have that tradition anymore. But what Naomi's is saying is it was traditionally that was what would happen, is if they didn't have a son for you, you would go back to your people, to your family, so they would take care of you. That was the common way. And so we see Orpah and Ruth faced with this, and at first they kind of hesitate, um, and then we kind of see Orpah going, okay, peace out, see you later right? Um, She's like, sounds good. This makes sense. I'm going to go back to my people. Um, But we see Ruth make a different decision and this very um, pinnacle moment. So she returned home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons. Would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. You got to love Naomi. You know, a lot of times women, Christian women, we kind of pretend like everything's okay. Naomi does not. I love that about her. Naomi's like, man, this is bitter. This is a rough go. She's blatantly honest. And we're going to see later on, she's, she's bitter towards God. And, and I kind of love that transparency of her. I can relate to that. Um, I've had some seasons where I've been bitter at God. And so I love that I can see that in Naomi. So um, now we go into this pinnacle. Um, um, we go to the next slide. But Ruth replied, so Orpah's gone. She's going back to her people. It's a sensible decision, right? By choosing to go with Naomi, she does not know where her next meal ticket's coming from. She could be signing up to starve. But Ruth makes a very different decision. She says, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be ever so severely, if, if even in death separates you and me. Has anybody ever noticed I use this a lot at weddings? Right? I've always found that very interesting. I mean, the words are beautiful, right? It definitely fits. As you're getting married, you're saying your people are my people, and we're joining families. But 
This is not between a husband and a spouse, these words. These are spoken between a mother and a daughter-in-law. And even if you have the most lovely of mother-in-laws, or maybe if your mother-in-law has some days you're going, what in the world is wrong with her? It's a hard relationship to say this to your mother-in-law, that I'm, I'm with you. I'm going to go with you no matter where you go. I'm going to leave my family. I'm going to leave my culture. I'm going to leave my religion to go where you go. What an amazing act of love. And, and we know, even though I won't lie, sometimes I wonder, like some of the stuff Naomi says, I'm like, well, she was just a barrel of laughs and giggles, right? She's bitter and she's kind of going around. And later in the story, she kind of makes some questionable remarks with a threshing floor with Ruth. But, you know, that's Casey will go there. Um, but what an amazing commitment Ruth has to her mother-in-law that she's willing to go no matter where she's going to go. And she knows that that means that she doesn't know that if anyone's going to be taking care of her, right? There's not like she's going back to this whole different culture where it's going to be tough. Ruth knew. This wasn't saying like, oh, I'm going to go with you because I think it's going to be okay. No, she knew when she made these, said these words to her that her and Naomi would not have a way to feed themselves, they're going back to Naomi's people, um, and hopefully there was um, someone in the family that would help take care of them, but, but there was no assurance of that. And so we see that Ruth makes this very different decision in this situation. So as the story goes on, they, um, they go back to, uh, into town, and we see um, Naomi. Everyone's kind of excited to see Naomi. Like, in the scripture, it talks about, like, is this Naomi? Yay! I don't know if she had, like, a big following on social media. I don't, I don't know what was going on with her. But um, she was a popular gal. And so, but her words are very interesting towards the end of this scripture. Um, and so they're like, hey, is this Naomi? Hey, girl, what's up? Um, and she goes in 20. And this is, I love her. I kind of, you know, I love her transparency. She says, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why they call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as she, the bar, barley harvest was beginning, which will be important, that little last little verse will be important in the rest of the story. But I love that Naomi was pretty honest, and she was having a hard time with what has happened. And I think sometimes in life, we, um, we show up at church, and everybody goes, how are you today? Well, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I didn't just beat my child in the car. Um, <clears throat> didn't threaten to murder one of my children uh, on the way to church. And so, or is that just me? Am I the only one that threatens their kid's life before we come to church? I do tell them sometimes, you can meet Jesus today. I can, we can arrange that. Um, but we, we try to pretend that things, and so I love this character of Naomi, um, being honest. And so I, I really grasp that, like, sometimes it's okay to say, I'm kind of bitter. Um, I don't like what's happening. And, and like I said, I've 
been bitter towards God. I've been downright furious at God. It wasn't fair. It didn't make sense. It wasn't the way it was supposed to be. And so I love getting to see Naomi and her honesty. So we had another story, this David and Goliath story. Um, And I promised you I'd come back to it. I didn't forget about it. There was a reason for it, not just because it's a really cool story um, that I wanted to share with it. So years ago, I was listening to a podcast called The Bible Binge. If you are interested in a fun, not super serious podcast about the scripture, they take the stories of scripture and um, they cast them with modern day actors and actresses. It's hysterical. And so you get a visual. Um, So some of this stuff is kind of, you know, lighthearted and kind of funny and they make fun of of the stories. And I kind of like that because I I like this, like, you know, oh yeah, that was kind of weird that this happened. Um, There's a lot of stories in scripture that we just kind of read over and we just like don't think about that they're kind of bizarre. So I was listening to this Bible binge and it was about Ruth. And they start talking about that in the rabbinic uh, literature, that there is records and historical records that Orpah was related to someone very important. We know that scripturally I can prove that Ruth was the great-grandmother of David, right? She marries um, Boaz. She's part of the lineage of Christ. We see that. But here we see in these other historical documents that Orpah was the great-grandmother of none other than Goliath. See, she left and had four sons, and one of them was Goliath. And we see this coming together of in this iconic moment when David and Goliath meet. But if we back up to Ruth chapter 1, we see these two women make different decisions of who they were going to call their people. Honestly, you can't blame Orpah for going back home to her family. How many of us wouldn't choose that? It made sense. It was the sensible decision. But we see Ruth, out of love, choose Naomi to walk alongside her, and her lineage is that of Christ. When I lost my husband, Michael, um, gosh, I can't even tell you how amazing my in-laws are. They were loving and kind to me. They held me up. Um, After I lost Michael, they started telling me they were praying for my, my next husband, as hard as that was. And I made a cognitive, intentional decision to stay connected to them. You know, a lot of times, like I said, the relationship is through the child, so the husband, you know, with the mother-in-law. I didn't talk to Michael's mom that often. He talked to his mom, and and then he would relay the message, right? Um, I love my mother-in-law, Anne. She's an amazing woman. She's the worst communicator on this earth, okay? Anyone in the family, and she would admit it too. She's just a horrible communicator. So, um, you know, anyone who knows, we tease Addison's kind of like that, like a lot, um, and they just kind of forget to tell you things. But um, I made a decision that she was going to be my people, that where she went, I was going to go. And when Casey and I started dating, I told him that. 
I said, listen, this is how it's going to be. These are my people. And I'm going to take your people too, but we're going to have lots of people. We got double the people. And, and sometimes it's hard. It's been rough. We've had to blend families. We've had to figure out holiday rotations. And everyone is, someone's mad every year um, and bitter about it. But I chose to be a part of them. And, and I drew on this story. I wanted to be Ruth. I wanted to show Anne the kind of love that Ruth showed Naomi. I wanted to know at the end of the day that I was honoring Michael in the way that I treated his family. And so we are still connected. Thanksgiving, we're all going to be with that family. Um, And I know that that has, you can go to the next slide. That's going to have a generational effect. So this picture is um, from Ann and Preston, my mother and father-in-law's 70th birthday at the ranch. So we have a picture. That's my, my late husband, Michael. Casey is not in this picture, not because we were excluding him, but he had to sneak off and go to a Cinco Ranch men's retreat to play golf and had a horrible allergy break out. So um, that's the only reason he was there previous to this before he got sick, and he would have been in this picture. But I love this picture because the decision I made to choose them to be my people is having a generational effect on all my kids. Most of those kids are not related to them biologically, but they love them as their own. They introduce Casey as their son-in-law and me as their daughter-in-law, and people look a little confused by that. Um, Sometimes I feel like I need to get a whiteboard to explain how we're all related and connected to each other, and it's messy. It's not perfect. There are hard days. Like I said, she really wishes I would write some thank you notes, and I'm just terrible at it. But I know that my kids will remember Annie and Poppy. And they have led them to follow Christ and their great Christian example because of the decision I made to choose Anne and her family. I know that their kids will hear stories of Annie and Poppy. And maybe even my great-grandchildren will hear stories of Annie and Poppy. Or they'll see this picture and they'll ask, who's that? Because I chose them to be my people. It's not always easy. There are some hard times. There's some definitely some awkward times, mostly for Casey to be 100%. <laughs> so it's kind of odd. Like sometimes it's like, you know, one of these doesn't belong and it, it's him. But we have chosen this. So go to the next picture. So this is um, a picture of Meemaw. And I love this picture. So all of these children pictured with her, we had some struggles getting kids to look at the camera, um, but these are her great-grandchildren. And they are all surrounded by her. And we gather at the family. This is the family ranch. And her and her husband, Bob, built this ranch for the family. They had this vision that they would all come together during holidays. And so this was taken, um, I think it's about two years ago now. But this last Christmas, she sat in the living room in that very chair again, and all of these people were there, like 35 of her family. And Meemaw's starting to have some dementia. In fact, it's gotten pretty bad. 
And so she sat there and she said, and wanted to address everyone, and she says, Bob would be so excited to see all these generations gathered at the ranch to be together in this family gathering. And she, because of her dementia, she says, I don't know who all of you are, but I know I love you. And it's that kind of love that we see from Ruth to Naomi. She doesn't really know her people, right? She's never met them. It was probably they hadn't done Thanksgiving together, right? But she's choosing Naomi. And because of this love for this family, we see that a generational effect because they've chosen to be each other's people. Now, your family may not, you may not want to choose them all the time. I'm sure, like I said, my mother-in-laws don't always want to choose me. Regina still thinks her biscuits are better. Um, we all know the truth, though. Um, the youth, you can ask the youth group, they had my biscuits, they're better. It's not always easy. And so how does it relate to you? Maybe if you don't want to choose your people. Well, I hope today you realize that we can glean from this story about who our people are and how the people we choose to go with, to follow, to stay with, and to call their God, our God, makes a difference. I love this church family so much. And I want to tell you today, if you are struggling with who your people are, and maybe it's you don't have a great family, your people are here. Your people are waiting for you, and they're here to walk alongside of you, and they're ready for you to love their God just as much as they love you. And so as my praise team comes out uh, to close us out and my prayer team goes to the back, my prayer for you this morning is that you will find those people in your life, the people that you want to choose. It might be family. So maybe your prayer request today is to love your mother-in-law more. Um, I'm going to have to let the go the biscuit thing, y'all. I got, I got to check my heart because uh, it got ugly last year over the biscuits with Regina. And so I probably need to check my heart. Maybe that's what my prayer needs to be. But I hope that you, as you go to those people, they're back there because they are your people. And they want to be there for you because we all love the same God. And how many of you are out there because... Someone in your life, maybe a grandmother, a great-grandmother, chose to have faith. Think about the generational effects. So many of us, we have faith because someone went before us and had faith. Um, and we can see these effects throughout history. So I hope this morning that you will be open to calling us your people.